Well, hello, hello. You are listening to Above Average, the podcast for big families. I am Lance Osborne, and this is the show for big families. Uh, it's about uh, the beautiful chaos that comes along with having a big family. Uh, if you've listened to the show before, thank you so much. If this is your first time listening, uh, it's called Above Average because it's about above average families. And no, we don't think that we're better than other families or little families or even just, uh, I don't know, a young married couple or anything like that. It's not about that. It's just about the statistical average. It's about this large family stuff. So when you've got more than two and a half kids, which is the American average, it's a little different for you especially if you've got quite a few more, if you've got five, six, if you've got 10 kids, this is the stuff that we're talking about. We kind of get it on this show that you're different, that you stand out in the crowd a little bit. You stand out at the grocery store a little bit, that kind of thing. Today, we've got a special guest. It is a friend of mine. Uh, He's a colleague of my wife's. His name is Dr. John Phillips. Say, hey, John. Hello. John is a board-certified pediatrician with Owensboro Health in Owensboro, Kentucky. Thanks for your time. Sure, I'm glad to be here. And you are getting ready to hit the road, right? Where are you headed? Hilton Head. Yeah, been to Hilton Head before? This will be our fifth or sixth time in the last three or four years. Why Hilton Head? We just like Hilton Head. Um, it's family-friendly. Uh, there's no college crowd. Um, it's hot down there, being an island in South Carolina. But it's just beautiful. We love the landscaping and how they've maintained the island. Right on, right on. Uh, John is a father of an above-average family himself. He's got three kids. Uh, So what does this process look like for you guys? Just real quick of loading up the car, you're hitting the road. How how far is it to Hilton Head? It's, if you drive straight through and you had no children, you can do it in about just under 10 if the traffic's not bad from (laughs) Have no children, that's probably a big part of that, right? With kids, and our kids are pretty well seasoned on um, traveling, um, we can do it in about 12 with stops for lunch, a couple bathroom breaks, but we pretty much get in the car and drive. And how, don't stop. how old are your kids? My oldest is 10. My middle child is six and my youngest is three. And how do they handle the car for 10 to 12 hours? Honestly, pretty well, but it's a lot of movies, Nintendo DS, <laughs> snacks, and they've just, they've gotten used to it because we've done it once or twice a year. All right, so parents out there, don't feel so bad if you've got to if you've got to get the DVD going for your kids. If you've got to pass out the the iPhone, let them play games a little bit, or the Nintendo DS. Right here, here's a pediatrician that's doing it with his kids. It's totally okay to do that, right, John? It is. Trips like that are about survival. There's no easy way to get it done. <laughs> to just to do it. I, mean, uh, I was just talking to John right before we started the show and asked him if he listened to our most recent episode, which was all about traveling. It was the show that Bobby and I did. It's called Hit the Road, Jack. Uh, Bobby's actually on vacation doing his big family travel right now. Uh, so John is stepping in, but, uh, I think it's interesting to ask John about what this looks like, how he keeps his kids chill and all that kind of right, right on the tail end of last week's episode. But anyway, it's not about last week's episode. It's about this week's episode. So John, like I said, you're, you're a pediatrician. What made you want to become a, a doctor that focuses on child health care? I think regardless of, I would have done something that, um, would have been involved with working with kids. When I went to medical school, I thought I would be a pediatrician and everything that I did in in medical school only convinced me that I wanted to do pediatrics. But that is truly the exception rather than the rule. Most people go in thinking they're gonna do X, Y, or Z and they end up changing their mind multiple times. I've just always enjoyed working with kids, sort of being their advocate. And I think that's ultimately what, you know, uh, drove me to pediatrics. Most of what I get to do every day is play with kids and occasionally I have to be a doctor and 
make a diagnosis. <laughs> I think so. that's what a lot of people want out of their pediatrician to have that that attitude, that spirit of yeah, I get to hang out with kids. It's not it's not medicine first and kids second. It's the other way around. Is what it sounds like you're saying. Exactly. You don't go into pediatrics. Well, I won't say you want to do it for the medicine, but uh, first and foremost, you have to you have to want to work with kids. And then if you enjoy the medicine aspect of it, because children are not little adults as far as making diagnoses, no, first and foremost, you have to be a person that likes working with kids. So your wife, Holly, she is a doula, so she's kind of in, in healthcare as well. I, I mean, I would say that's definitely healthcare. It's not necessarily uh, children's healthcare, a little bit different than that. Uh, how does that work for your family, having two people that are involved with, with that aspect of, of life? We just find a way to make it work uh, when she has to go uh, help a mom, you know, have a baby and be her support person between family and babysitters and trying to coordinate it when, well, you can't coordinate birth. But um, typically it just works out so that I'm able to, you know, come home and take over. And hopefully by the time I have to go the next day, she's back. Cool, man. So today, even though we've got Dr. John here, it's not really going to be heavy on the medical side. I think at some point we might get there, John. I mean, there's probably a wealth of stuff that you and I can talk about, whether that's that's medicine or it's talking about, I don't know, big families and how to deal with, I don't know, maybe if you've got five kids and one of them has special needs or something like that. I think there could be a really cool show uh, wrapped around that. That's a little heavier than where we're going today, though. Today, I wanted to talk about really from the big family perspective as a parent of a big family just working with you, working with your staff, working with your team, that kind of thing, that's got to be different when a bunch of kids pile into an exam room and mom and dad are there. And it's all that that craziness. It's a little hectic. That's got to be a little different than a younger couple coming in with their one day old. And it's just, it's all about them and they're doting on the baby. And it's just probably a little bit more calm and serene at that point than, you know, when 10 people were in one tiny room. What's that like when you go, okay, deep breath. I got to go in here and I got to do this exam or let's not even talk about the sick visit right now. It's just kind of the, the checkup, right? Let's just go in here and make sure that, you know, this three-year-old is doing all right, but he's also got a bunch of siblings there and mom's trying to work with you, work with your staff, trying to listen, trying to take it all in. But at the same time, she's got to, I don't know, dole out the Nintendo or whatever it is to, to keep a little bit of calm in the room. What's that like? I'm sure you've experienced that many times. Big families are definitely different than, um, you know, like you said, uh, first time parent comes in the room. But I think I would add that there's not a big family out there that didn't start out with one child. By the time you get to that fourth, fifth, sixth child and you're coming to see your pediatrician and you have a new baby that's there for a checkup, mom usually is pretty comfortable in terms of doesn't have a lot of questions for that six month old when to introduce baby foods or, you know, what's it going to be doing by nine months Mom generally knows all that. So there's a different comfort level when the parent comes in. Usually if, if there are issues, medically speaking, that they're coming to talk about, it's usually with their older kids. Child's having anxiety before school. Teachers think he has ADHD. You know, maybe there's eating issues with one of the kids. He's just super picky. You, you're getting into usually more niche topics. You're not usually just going over sort of broad concepts because most parents at that point ha- have a pretty good idea of what to do. A lot of times, you know, it just depends. It just depends on the family when, you know, three or four kids come in the room. I personally only will do two checkups at a time, and, and we can talk more in a minute about why, why that is so, uh, even with big families. But it's just a different level of organized chaos, to be honest, because 
I don't really think there's anything mom or dad can do when, you know, if they have to bring four or five kids in the room, you're in a room that's, you know, six feet by eight feet and mom's attention is distracted between trying to listen to what I'm saying, trying to see the kids. The kids know mom is distracted. So they almost <laughs> always take advantage of that Been distraction. Yep. So to get more attention. So it, it's really just about just trying to do what needs to be done, getting through the exam, filling out paperwork, asking important questions for a sports physical, getting shots, et cetera. So generally speaking, like if you're if you're dealing with mom or dad in your experience, if you're talking to those people outside of the patient room, which you would be now, can you speak maybe what is something that you would tell a parent that you can tell them right now that you probably wouldn't be able to tell them in the middle of the exam room? Like, how would you suggest that we as parents of larger families focus on what the doctor or the nurse practitioner or the provider how do we focus a little bit more on what you're saying when we are so distracted? What do we need to focus on? I think it depends on what your needs are when you come to the doctor. If you're coming in just for your school checkup, middle of the summer, your kids are healthy, you're not having any problems, you just need some paperwork filled out, and there's not a whole lot of separate issues you need to talk about, I don't know that there's anything that I would do differently to accommodate that. But if you've got, just like if your child has an important issue that they want to talk about at home, you wouldn't try to talk about them that with four other kids in the room making a bunch of noise and expect that conversation to go very well. So if there are important issues that you really need to talk to the doctor about, you probably ought to find a way to just bring that child in for the checkup so it can be the physician, the patient, and mom or dad in the room. Because when you have three or four other kids and you want to talk about ADHD, you want to talk about anxiety or, you know, the kid has a phobia of storms and, you know, brothers and sisters give them a hard time about it. Well, you can't expect those visits to go very well when you come to the doctor. I mean, you essentially are, it's your money and it's your time. And if you want to get the most out of it, trying to find a way to possibly not bring the other kids in for that visit is probably going to make the whole thing go better, even if that maybe just means one of the parents come to the visit. That actually answers my next question. When is a good time to get a babysitter? And it's for some of these, I guess, probably more serious situations, right? Where you need, you need, regardless of what's going on, you need to be able to focus on that conversation between you and your doctor and focus on what your child is saying to the doctor and so forth. Correct. I mean, it, you wouldn't handle it that way at home. So you can't expect your physician to be able to somehow magically be able to handle mom, dad, four other kids. Oh, and let's talk about this issue, which makes our kid cry every time we bring it up at home and expect it to go very well with three or four of the kids in the room bouncing off the walls. So really important issues I think you should focus on. How can we do this with just the people that have to be there? That's a a great rule of thumb. If you would need to have that one-on-one time at home to discuss that issue with that kid. And for that reason, you know, you'd send the kid to the room or whatever. If you would be distracted at home, you would most certainly be distracted in the little exam room too. Correct. I would agree with that statement. Cool. Kind of going back to what I said earlier, though, um, the only other thing I think I would add to that is that, you know, there are definitely pediatricians out there who'll do four or five checkups at a time. But I think for most, for most pediatricians that I only do two at a time, even if there aren't a whole lot of issues, because it just gets overwhelming. You've got two kids, two exams, you know, several questions you've got to ask, growth charts to review, 
And when you start having to do three or four of those at a time, I, I personally find myself starting to rush and starting to skip things. No, well, I don't really have to ask about that today. So I'll just gloss over that today and move on because I've got two or three other kids waiting. Or, well, and probably because mom right. is also already distracted with the other right. children. And, yeah. Right. So I, I personally won't do, I, I will occasionally make exceptions, you know, for twins or triplets. Well, twins wouldn't count, but for triplets, you know, that's a very difficult on mom to try and especially when they're young to try and arrange childcare. But when you're doing four or five checkups at once, honestly, I just don't see how any, any doctor can do that and do it well and provide quality for what you're getting in return. And it sounds like you're saying that mainly for the benefit of the family, uh, of the patient and the patient's family. And it is. I realize that's probably difficult. You know, if you've got five or six kids trying to arrange three different days or, you know, um, times to do those checkups, it's, it, it is an inconvenience. And there, there's no other way to say that it's not. But at the same time, I don't feel like I can do a quality job when I'm doing more than two checkups at a time. And, and that needs to be the first priority. Right. And the first priority. So is, you wouldn't is, want your auto mechanic working on four or five cars at once and worry that he wouldn't possibly miss something or not get some screw or bolt, you know, back the way it's supposed to be. So any individual, you know, if you ask them to multitask and do four or five things at the exact same time, that gets hard to do that and do it well. So for those times when you do go to the doctor's office and you do have the other kids to tend to and maybe, yeah, sure, maybe it's just a well child checkup. You're just making sure that everything's cool and you're dealing with your kids. Obviously, mom or dad, they're so used to this, whether they're at a restaurant or they're at church or whatever it is, they're used to dealing with their kids and getting them to settle down anyway. But being in that exam room or being in the waiting room, it's a slightly different environment. It's one that you're probably not as used to as the places that you're going on a weekly basis, which I don't know if you're a big family, you might be Some going. Some people are coming in on a weekly <laughs> basis, sometimes two or three times a week. So I would generally say, though, that it tends to be parents who are on their first or second child. Yeah. Or if you've got enough kids where you have to come in weekly just to, to separate all the well child checks out because you can't triple up, double up or whatever. If you've got 10 kids, you're going you're gonna to be seeing your pediatrician a lot. Probably. When they're young, especially. But from what you've seen, do you have any tips or tricks or anything like that? What have you seen work with the parents getting their kids to chill out? Um, you know, besides the norm, besides the snacks, besides the electronic devices or anything like that, is there anything that works especially well at the doctor's office? And feel free to say no, like, because not only are you a provider, but you're also a dad. Generally, we refrain from having food in the rooms because it's too messy. Um, Good point. Good it point. just goldfish get all over the floor. Kids get stuff on the wall. Mom's half distracted. So generally, we just our office has a rule. No. Once you start coming back the hallway, no food or drink except for, you know, infant formula, that sort of thing for a baby. To be honest, the only thing that I can think of that works well in the moment that distracts the kids when I've seen parents use it is, you know, honestly, a scream screen of some sort, whether it's, you know, watching, you know, Disney Junior for a few minutes on their iPhone or, you know, playing a short little game on the iPad if there are important issues. Otherwise, the kids are just bored and they're wanting to get in the cabinets. They're wanting to pull out the drawers, climb the table, you know, those sorts of things. They just, um, it's just a tough situation when you have to bring in multiple kids. That's really the only thing I've seen that works well. And not that I would endorse screen time for coping with all of those issues, but 
What works well in moderation, just yeah, like we talked moderation. about a, a minute ago with with long travel, and then now situations where you need to be able to focus on whatever. If you can zone that kid out and do something productive or educational or whatever, yeah, that's helpful. Uh, but yeah, it's finding that balance, that moderation. John, this is one thing that I didn't really uh, prep you for. I didn't say we were going to talk about it, but just kind of briefly, what are you seeing with kids who spend a lot of time with a lot of screen time? Who who maybe get too much of that? Are you is that something that you're seeing or dealing with in your office, or can you tell in the you know the twenty minutes that you're hanging out with a patient? Because I feel like it's something that Bobby and I talk about regularly on the show is that it's great because it it takes care of the kid, it distracts the kid, it calms the kid or whatever for a brief time. But I think you swing the pendulum to the other side, and you've got the kid that just. That's all they do. That's all they want to do. They want to play Minecraft 10 hours a day, and that's their world. I mean, I, I guess there's a benefit to that. Maybe there's a seed that's being planted that they're going to be an amazing computer programmer or something like that. But even when, we, when you were little, and John's about the same age that I am, it was all about, hey, don't watch too much TV. You don't want to sit there and watch all your Saturday morning cartoons and then come home from school and watch TV for another four hours before you go to bed. Is that something that you're seeing now that we've kind of switched to? You've always got a screen in your hands. I won't lie. When I was a child, I know I had way too much screen time. There were definitely days with a, a friend of mine who actually lives here now, no one's poor as well, when we would just spend hours playing the original Nintendo and things like that. I don't know that I specifically get into that conversation a lot about screen time. I, we do, I do have it some with parents. I mean, the recommendations are under two, no screen time at all. So, so no, no baby TV channel and no, no, uh, let them hang out with the iPod for a little bit at 18 months. Correct. Those are the recommendations. And, you know, I, I see lots of two year olds who are masters on an iPad. So I know (laughs) they've spent a lot of time, um, learning how that device functions. Certainly I think there are issues in our society today with the amount of screen time that kids get whether it's playing 10 hours of Minecraft a day or, or you know, other things. Certainly texting in and of itself, um, you know, I, I think most psychological experts, you know, say today that, you know, we're losing a whole generation that doesn't know how to interact with each other because instead of actually picking up a phone and talking to someone, they're texting or their faces planted in a screen. I mean, just now look at, you know, when I go out to eat with my wife and we're at a restaurant, you know, we might see a couple teenagers there or, you know, maybe a young couple in their 20s and the whole time they're there, they don't even hardly look up. Staring at their screens. They're staring at their screen. And so there's a lot of interpersonal skills that are going to be lost um, that are probably going to cause problems for a lot of people down the road, 15, 20 years Mm -hmm. in the workplace and in relationships because they're not learning those skills as children anymore or as teenagers. And that's interesting that you bring that up within the context of a bigger family too. If you are holding yourself away as, I don't know, as a 13 year old away from all your other siblings, away from your parents, you're doing all that. Not only is it, you're not interacting face to face with your friends or, you know, with your one sibling, you're pulling away from your entire family. It's not just, to me, it seems different when you just disappear to go write in your journal, read a book, even just sit there and listen to music with headphones on. Like that's a different experience than let me sit here and hop on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, where you're doing that thing where it kind of, it's this, this faux social thing. We call them social networks and don't get me wrong. I think that you can create and foster relationships in a, in a different way, but you can still do that with social networking. But at what price? 
And like you said, if it's the price that you're you know, not now having those interpersonal relationships with your own immediate family, especially if you've got a lot of siblings, that's that's a different cost. No, I, I would completely agree with you. And you know, I would say for most people, even adults, you know, what do we really get out of Facebook? Has it made your life better? Are you happier because you got to go spend 30 minutes looking at other people's happy pictures <laughs> on Facebook? There's, I don't think there's any, honestly, any retaining value for an eight or a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old having a Facebook account, having a, having a cell phone at a young age so they can text all their friends. Developmentally, it's not healthy. And with cyberbullying and other things the way they are oh, today, yeah. I don't think that... Um, when you look at the grand scheme of things, giving your kid a Facebook account at 10 or 11, what is it adding to the quality of their life? And it's not, other than they can get on there and post some pictures and make some comments. And if they're lucky, nobody puts a mean picture on their page or starts yeah. making hateful comments. And, you know, we're certainly seeing repercussions from that today in the media where, you know, kids who are being bullied, you know, cyberbullied are not wanting to go to school. There's suicide attempts. And not to say that stuff didn't happen before we had Facebook. It certainly did. But it seems like a lot of it has migrated there. It has migrated there. It seems like you hear about it more and more. Um, kids who are, you know, um, basically just getting negative feedback from what's, you know, on their Facebook page and in the grand scheme of things. What are they gaining for it? That's a good point. And I mean, I guess you can say there's some benefit. Again, kind of going back to what I was saying, maybe you are fostering those relationships. You get a little happy tinge of you, you get the, uh, what is it, the the endorphin rush or whatever it is when somebody tags you in a photo. Is that is that right? What is it? Uh, what's the booster thing? The brain, the brain buzz that you get. It's so, probably an endorphin response. I know exactly what you're talking about, but that's actually been, that's been looked at and studied. So people can get addicted to... You know, every time I email dings, every time I get a yeah, text it dings, yeah. every time, you know, I'm tagged on Facebook. So you start checking it over well, I was and over say, you're it, looking for that positive feedback. There is a, a slight benefit to that, right? It's a little happy thing. And oh, my buddy tagged me and look, here we are. It's a good photo. It's fun. But I would probably go back to so what, far. You, what you, you can, said earlier about moderation. Yeah. As long as it's staying in a healthy, healthy range. Cool. Uh, different subject. You've seen all kinds of families. How long have you been a doctor? I finished residency in 2009. Okay. So I've been in private practice since then. Okay. So for six years, I mean, you've had tons of families coming in and out of your offices. You've seen all family types, all family sizes. Let's talk about the big families for a second. What are you seeing with children from large families, almost from the behavioral side of what are some of the benefits that you're seeing in your personal experiences when a kid has a bunch of siblings, so three, four plus siblings, what are they getting out of those relationships? Kind of what we were saying two seconds ago about the interpersonal relationships, but what are you seeing with those families? And I know we can talk about some of, uh, we can, everything's got its benefits and its drawbacks. Let's just focus on the pros right now, the positive side. What are the good things that you're seeing about big families? Well, the answer is it partly depends. Partly depends on how many kids there are, how far apart did mom and dad have them. You know, are they three or four years apart or are they, you know, one year apart? I would say with certainly siblings where they're all close together, you know, within 12 to 18 months, you know, as those kids get older, they essentially become playmates. You know, uh, it's like being able to have a friend over all the time. They just go run and they go play. When you start getting further apart, and I would say three years between children is probably the max. They're not playmates anymore. 
um, because they're just they're just too far apart. Mm-hmm. They start developing their own interests. I mean, certainly a twelve year old who's in the throes of puberty has a very different interest than a nine year old who is just at a different phase. You know, interpersonally, they get a, a lot of developmental skills and behaviors that they might not get if they were an only child. And they sort of have to, you know, learn and realize I'm not the center of the world. I'm not going to be the focus of mom and dad's, you know, every minute of the day. I have to learn to entertain myself, you know, at times. Um, certainly the older kids um, almost become like helpers with the family. So it's it's very different for mom when she has a 10 or a 12-year-old at home and she's also having a new baby. She's not there alone on an island, you know, when dad's at work and, uh, you know, she's got spit up all over her shirt and the baby's had a blowout diaper and uh, she can't move. Um, she can always uh, ask. Sounds her. like you're slightly familiar with this world. Yes, I certainly <laughs> see see that go. Parents go through that, not not just from friends, but even I've seen several sides of uh, sides of relief when parents with multiple siblings and they have them old enough to become, you know, little helpers in the house, you know, little mini babysitters. And again, you caveat, caveat. It's not like we're making our kids become no, permanent babysitters. Again, we're finding not. the balance, we're not going to that extreme. No, but I certainly think it's different when your family is, you know, you've got a fourteen-year-old, twelve-year-old, nine-year-old six-year-old and a three-year-old versus a big family that's six months, three, four and a half, five, and six. Mm-hmm. So that's very different in terms of the demands that, you know, raising that family at that moment that those parents have to deal with yeah. versus having two kids who are teenagers. Um, and certainly mom and dad's expectations of what right. the six-year-old in that case would be able to right, do. to do versus the 14 and the 12-year-old. So... Um, I, I think it's recommended that kids are at least spacing in terms of what is ideal from a psychological standpoint is at least 18 months between kids. Okay, we found that up twice now. Well, <laughs> as long as we've got your blessing, that makes me feel a little bitter. Better, not bitter. I think I just said bitter. I'm not bitter, John. Yeah, because we've got Luke and Mary are 14 months and then now the new boys, James and Tyler, they are 16 months apart. So I would say 18 months is probably really smart when you when that gap is close. Oh my gosh. So the 14 month gap. I've and I, th- I may have said this on the show before. I think I've told you John, I may may not have though. I've wanted twins so bad. I have and it probably parents out there of of twins are thinking, "No, no you don't. It's crazy." That's what I'm thinking right now. Uh, but there's just something about them. Any twins that I've ever seen, I'm like, they are so on the same page. They're so connected. I've prayed for twins and it's never happened. But now looking at Luke and Mary, there's a, again, a 14 month age gap between them. They are as tight as they can be. And Mary is 14 months older and she shows it. And from both the developmental side and a, a confidence side, she knows that she's older than Luke and she, she forges her own path more so than Luke does right now because he's 14 months behind her. But when they play, when they are on the same page, man, they are, they're tight. They love imagining together and pretending together. And there's so, there's so much cool factor there that I'm like, ah, that's probably what it's like with twins. So Sarah always goes, there's your twins right there when they do something cute, when they do something where they're you know, on the same wavelength. I'm like, yeah, that's what it would be like. you got more experience with that than I do. Not, not the age gap, but seeing I twins. I completely and stuff. agree with you as far as, you know, 
playing and what it's like with twins. Um, but my heart goes out to those those families that have twins or triplets because it's <laughs> um, it's another level of sleep deprivation. I, I can only on imagine. Yeah. So, you know, as soon as you get done feeding one at two a.m., the other one's up and ready for the next feeding. You finish that nursing an hour later, forty-five minutes later. And, oh, the other one's ready to wake up and feed again, and it's just another level of exhaustion in the beginning, anyway. Oh, for sure. What in that last what eighteen months, or you know, two years, or whatever, whatever is your window. However, you define that window in your situation. Cool. Well, John, thanks a lot for being on the show. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? Anything that you wanted to say earlier that you you didn't have a chance to add? No, I think we covered everything pretty well today. Uh, I really appreciate you having me on your show today. It's been fun. Maybe we can do this again soon and and delve in, into some deeper topics. You scratched my back, though. You did me a favor. Thanks for jumping in. We've talked about it for a long time, but it was nice actually saying, okay, no, let's do this. And uh, John, again, he and his wife, they're really busy. They're trying to get out of town and all that. John's like, hey, can you do it this afternoon? I'm like, yes, let's make it happen right now. So that's what we did. Anyway, John, thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. Well, folks, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. If you've got any other show topic suggestions, if you've got any feedback about today's show or any other show that we've done, uh, why don't you shoot us an email? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at theaboveaverageshow at gmail.com. Again, theaboveaverageshow at gmail.com. Or if you want other ways to contact us, if you want to listen to previous episodes, if you want to send a friend to check out the show, any of that stuff, just go check out aboveaverageshow.com for all the latest news. We're also on Facebook and all kinds of other things. But yeah, aboveaverageshow.com is the best way to see us. Well, anyway, thanks again for listening, and thank you for being Above Average. We'll see you all next time.